0: Welcome to the Manaw 100 Centenary Podcast, part of the Decade of Centenaries program. In this, the second in our series, we speak to contemporary artists to examine the role as activists, commentators and agents of change. How did they respond to women of the past, particularly in this period of reflection, this Decade of Centenaries? I'm Sinead McCool and I ask you to join me and meet three artists, recipients of the Markovist Award in 2019, 2020 and 2021. As we look back 100 years ago to leaders like Constance De do they form a fundamental part of the narrative for the women of today? The word icon seems old-fashioned, outdated, It's a word we use daily for the small picture on your screen. So maybe the question to ask is, is she a touchstone for the creatives in the present? Markovitz, like so many of that revolutionary generation, was at the center of the cultural scene. An artist by training, an actress, a playwright, a founder of the Arts Club, a supporter of the Abbey Theatre, a poet, writer. One hundred years ago, women of the landed gentry, daughter of the big house as she was, were encouraged in the arts. Lady-like activity to show their accomplishments, to get a husband. Singing, playing an instrument, needlepoint, parlour dramatics for the amusement of guests, painting pictures, was Constance Gorbooth, the daughter of a baronet with relatives among the wealthiest landowners in Britain and Ireland, typical of her class, schooled in artistic sensibilities. The art of these genteel women now hangs in big houses. Charming was the word often used to describe the work of women in the 19th and early 20th century. I view a painting that changed the course of Markovitch's life. It hangs on a wall across the road from government buildings. I'm sure Markovitch would have smiled at that. It is a painting of two young girls by the Irish artist Sarah Purser, an oil on canvas, 1882. It hung in a big house for over 100 years. It is now in the Merrion collection. The eldest daughters of an Arctic explorer and his wife who ran an embroidery school on the family domain. The girls are painted in a woodland area on the family estate. According to biographers, the eldest realised when this portrait was being painted that women could make a living from art. She made up her mind that she would become an artist. She later took painting lessons from the artist herself. The other sister became a poet, an activist for the rights of women. It was not that simple. They had society against them and their parents' expectations. The parents were very pleasant, kindly, inflammable people, ever ready to take up new ideas and new things, a contemporary said of them. But unlike so many of their class, they allowed their daughters, Constance and Eva, to pursue their own ambitions. Constance's determination, so evident throughout her life, meant that the realisation of her ambition took years. She was presented to Queen Victoria when she visited Ireland, and despite being hailed as a beauty, the social round did not lead to Con finding a husband. A diary in the collection of the National Museum of Ireland gives an insight into the mind of this young woman fighting to become an artist.
1: Constance Gore Booth, Journal, 1892, National Museum of Ireland, aged 24 years. Engaged, married, and me a whole season older and not engaged or even wishing to be. If I could only cut the family tie and have a life of my own, I should want no other heaven. If I was sure of myself and knew I could succeed for sure and make a name or more, I would bolt, live on a crust and do. But do all that with the chance of having to return and throw oneself on the charity of one's family a miserable failure is more than I can screw up my courage to face. So many people begin with great promise, greater hope and in the end nothing but failure and the poor house and improper.
0: The pieces of our artistic life that have survived. Poems, lyrics to a piece of music, paintings in public and private collections, photographs and playbills. The items in her former home, the Lissadell Collection, in Kilmainham Jail Museum, the National Museum the National Library, the Abbey Theatre. I walk on the bridge between the past and the present and look to the artists of today to see where they take these stories of the past and mould them to the present. In 2017, a debut collection of poetry called Bloodroot was published. It explores the meaning of belonging. The poet whose work explores dual ways of experiencing people, places and events She grew up speaking the Irish language. Her contemporaries have acknowledged her talent by a number of literary fellowships in Europe and the US. In Ireland, she is the recipient of the Next Generation Artists Award and the Markovitch Award with the collaborative Sworn States. This work reimagined women's experiences and sought to address the shifting historical and cultural landscapes.
2: My name is Anne Marie Ní Chiarainn. As uh, túnn anál me, in dear honra aglaighiníla, agus huim me um, nascall um, ar an alcara, agus uh, scanchar uh, dúchas me. So I'm a poet and writer from the Dunagall Gaeltach, and I come from that beautiful, wild barren, very lonely landscape, which is very rich in uh, Belgic folklore, mythology and kind of old stories and ghosts attached to the bog. I have a full time practice. I'm a workshop facilitator with a specific interest in working with vulnerable and marginalised people. I also collaborate with other artists. I've worked with composers, visual artists, filmmakers, and I'm really interested in all the different ways that poetry can inhabit different spaces in Irish society. And I was really lucky in 2019 to be an awardee of the Markovich uh, Award, which was given to a poetry collaborative that I'm part of. Sworn States is a collaborative between myself and poets Kimberly Campanello and Dimitra Exagis. And our debut poetry project, which is in progress at the moment, will deliver a series of poems that interweaves autobiography, social history, and myth to confront issues around reproduction, uh, labour, erotic autonomy and evokes this wide range of states of female embodiment and thought, including pleasure, joy, and experiences of intellectual interrogation. So one of the things we wanted to do with these new poems is to challenge worn narratives around perpetual female suffering and self alienation. And perhaps one of the really exciting aspects of the collaboration is that we're bringing to all of this a rich constellation of cross-cultural perspectives. So I'm an Irish language poet who's an Irish speaker. Kimberly is an Irish poet with dual American citizenship who is a French speaker. And Demetra is a Canadian citizen now resident in Ireland who is a Greek speaker. So there's a richness there, I think, of, of peer learning and of energy. And it's a project which I think is unlike uh, any other poetry project or collaboration which has happened in Ireland before.
0: For Anne-Marie, the cultural context of the past, as well as the present, informs her work, and she embraces the commonalities shared with other cultures and, indeed, with women's experience. But not alone for women, but those who are marginalised and those who are vulnerable. She continues to be informed by experiences of others, working in collaboration, finding words... Finding connections. My name is Barbara Bergen and I am an actor and a
1: writer. And I'm currently working on uh, a play, a piece of theatre and a couple of other pieces of work around women in the revolutionary period and the early years of the Free State. So something like the Markovitch Award is a complete game changer for me in terms of the of the work I'm undertaking now and exploring because the bursary is to buy you the time and space, and so often you don't have that. And particularly at my end of the of the arts, where you're making stories of some kind, you know, you're often constrained by schedules or by the determiners for those things that you work within a certain frame. Something must be ready by a certain time, and. It happens in stages and I like to work in a much more integrated way because I've always kind of been quite fluid in the way that I work. So I like to work with what interests me, a theme that interests me at the moment. It's this this idea of, of, of the history of Irish women and the history of women in the Irish state.
0: During the decade of centenaries, a mass of new documentation has been made available in an egalitarian way. Markovic's actions live on her revolutionary statements, often taken as sound bites, For artists, considering her work, her legacy, those snatches of information become central. How you navigate the story, what forms parts of Markovitch's biography, a multi-faceted life story? How does the transmission of information happen, passing from generation to generation? That is my concern as a historian. But an artist? freed from such structures. Joanna Walsh works in non-fiction and fiction and is using new ways of using text, working in collaboration with other art forms, celebrated for her originality. I'm the recipient of the 2020 Markowitz
3: Award in Literature I started off as a print writer and I carry on working with text, but I like to take text off the page and play around with what it can do in a digital environment and also in performance as well as print. The audio that I made, for this is an excerpt from my work going towards what I'll be doing finally um, for the Markowitz Award. It's a layered sound piece using text generated by an artificial intelligence writer, which I'm programming to take a feed of uh, text that I feed into it, which in that instance was some of my own writing. But I'm going to be using the writings of Irish women from history, including Markovitch herself. What I was sending really was a test. Um, It was read by a text-to-speech reader, which is a great thing that you can get on most laptops, which is primarily designed to help people who are having trouble reading the text on screen. I've used this a lot personally when I get quite tired of reading things with my eyes and I get the voice to read it back to me. There's a selection of voices you can choose from, but there's only one Irish voice and her name is Moira Moira. And when I started using her, I started thinking about, well, who was the original woman who recorded this voice bit by bit? How was her voice sliced up and how does it come back together to read whatever text I put in?
0: In terms of this idea of Moira, so she once existed as a real person and you're then taking her and using her really as something almost like a, a disembodied voice of the future. So when you think about your audience, do you ever think about how those words then translate into, you know, how people outside are going to perceive them? Are you trying to change the way people see those those texts? Well, what I'm thinking about very much is um,
3: anonymity and in women's voices. Of course, women have very seldom in history been given the chance to have their voice recorded in official circumstances, except perhaps sometimes as eyewitnesses. And I'm in my project, I'm using some eyewitness accounts by women from the military archives amongst, and also eyewitness accounts um, collected by Maureen Johnston in her wonderful book, Dublin Bells, uh, which is accounts of women's lives in Dublin in the 20th century, first person accounts. So I'm always thinking about how women talk, what they want to talk about. And Johnston's book certainly has a lot of accounts of their aspirations for the future, especially what they want Dublin to be like and what they'd like their lives to be like and what could improve their lives as women um, living in the city. Dublin Bells, was published in 1988. Uh, so she's really collecting ey- eyewitness accounts from women who were, who were alive in 1988, but they have a vast range of ages and a vast range of experiences. So it's really women um, talking about their lives really across the 20th century, right from the beginning of the century. I've came to consider
1: Countess Markovitch really through the writings of other women, primary sources, you know, through the witness statements or through women's writings of the period because that was my area of interest and she kept popping up in it and the impression I got of her through the Mm. words of other women was so different to my own preconceptions and I think she was really badly served by the men who wrote about her and I began to become interested in her and she is a fascinating character. I still find like I still want to know a lot more about her. The fact that she was so polarizing in so many ways. And the thing that really interests me, besides Markovic as an artist and, and a political activist, is Markovic as the outsider, you know, by virtue of her class, her gender, her politics. As an artist, she's always at a remove in whatever milieu she, she's in. And in that way, she fascinates me as an artist, because in, in many ways, that's where you need to situate yourself. To have that view, and I think you see it in her political activity, in her ability to seize a moment, her sense of the dramatic. I can always find a way to give my dreams a living form. So I sit and dream and build up a world of birds and butterflies and flowers from the sheen in a dewdrop or the flash of a seagull's wing. And the only bore is being locked up when there is so much to be done the way that she survived and sometimes thrived in 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 prison in really difficult circumstances how she used that time and i think her artistic temperament is is what fascinates me about her and how
0: she used that in
1: service of her of her politics
0: just in the context of that um you know just your Involvement in prisons, works and being in that space yourself. How do you think that that informs how you look at her?
1: That that resonates with me. Um, I have always worked all throughout my career in areas of social exclusion, facilitating writing or, or drama in some shape or form. And I've done that over over the last 30 years and also in other community settings. So prison always interests me because people are often caught in a moment in prison, a difficult moment in their lives. And I'm always amazed at how they creatively respond to that, that that's not just an artist's instinct. I think it's a human instinct is you have time, (laughs) you know, you have so much time um, and time for, you know, reflection and and how that always manifests in some way creatively through poetry or painting or song very often in an Irish context, but also I worked in in American prisons as well. And and so it's not just an Irish thing that people have often for the first time in quite fractured lives have have an opportunity to. To reflect and often seek to find some kind of meaning. In an artistic way, because you're, you're not bound by. By words or reason, you can just respond.
0: For Joanna, it was integral to get close to many of the personal artefacts and letters belonging to Markovic.
3: Her prison letters, which mostly sent to her sister Eva, um, with whom she was very close, both politically, as a political correspondent because Eva was also an activist, and uh, personally as her sister. So I'm very interested in the mix of voices that Markovic uses there. She's talking about the political situation. She's talking about plans. She's also being censored and she's very aware of being censored by various prison censors. But she's also talking very much about domestic arrangements and practical arrangements. For instance, when she's initially imprisoned in 1916 um, and her house in Dublin was raided, she's very concerned that the people working For her, her servants are properly paid while she's in jail, and she's very concerned that various of her property hasn't hasn't gone missing, and she's trying to make arrangements. and It's very interesting thinking about her trying to both make political arrangements and be concerned what's happening to her her fellow rebels, and also thinking about how is she going to kind of manage her life, which she was very much in charge of running the household
0: while she's in prison. Amree's focus is Markovic herself. From her
2: reading, she assesses her defining characteristics. There's a staunchness about her that I always admired. Um, I read her prison letters with interest and I think I found the tone of her writing and the state of her mind represented in those letters deeply curious. One gets a sense that, you know, she was um, pursuing this dream and essentially at times it it was a dream in which she was... um, she experienced a lot of aloneness. Um, So I suppose I think of her as this mix of glamour and intellect and fire and um, being a very vivacious soul, uh, but also being very familiar with that experience of, of aloneness. And I think she's come to represent a generation of women that are really important to me. Um, and their their influences there are kind of buried somewhere deep in my own work and in my own poems that often look to the subject of the Irish state. You know, these women, Maud Gone and also Eva Gore Booth and Esther Esther Roper, um, they're intriguing women with complicated lives. And uh, somebody like Maud Gone had a very strong connection to Donegal as well. But I suppose, you know, they all have come to represent women who strove, who worked very hard and who were really determined in their thinking and in their dreaming. And so to be awarded, you know, the Markovitch Award is is not only time and space for the collaborative that I'm a part of to make new work, but it also honours, you know, Markovitch's legacy and achievements and, and the women of that time. So the work that I'm creating with my sworn states collaborators is still in progress. So I'm not going to read from that, but I'm going to read a poem from Bloodroot, which was my own debut collection published by Dura Press in 2017. And this poem is for my goddaughter, who at the age of seven uh, was going to bed one night and I was tucking her in. And she was asking me about my spirituality and my religious beliefs. And she said, what do you believe in? and what will keep you safe from harm. And so this poem references the Aum alphabet, Family Law. In our sixth summer, you bring me the news that we come from a broken rib. Now you believe we are in danger. Now you believe we must atone for the sins of our fathers. But, daughter, we come from the spryest woods. You and I are of the roots that uphold an alphabet to the sun. Your name begins in ruche, mine in alm. When we speak, leaves fall from our tongues, birds nest in the smallest of our words. For this wildness, we need not apologise. What grows underfoot is not a worry, it is a right. By chieftain law, no harm can be done to us. This law our elders knew by heart, for even the milk in a cup was owed to it. Long before the houses of worship were raised, by men our trees stood tall. From 1908
0: onwards, Markovitch used her artistic talent to be political. I'm thinking of the masthead of Ban the The magazine for women, in which she wrote many articles and columns, including Gardening Notes. As an actress, when she posed as Joan of Arc, and Joan of Arc as a vision to a suffragette, for the Daffodil Fate in 1914, organised by the Irish Women's Franchise League. Or her battle hymn, written for the Irish Citizen Army, set to music by Crofts. She is so often seen as a rebel. Indeed, she projected the image of herself, photographed in uniform, posing with a gun. She understood the power of the image, of propaganda. Seen as a radical, do these artists think they have a responsibility to be radical in their work?
3: I don't think art has a responsibility to anyone or anything, but I certainly like to use my work to ask political questions. And um, the question that I am most interested in asking as a woman and as a feminist artist is, how can we ask the right questions in order to get some useful answers? As I said, I'm very interested in women's voices, women's silences, and the way that women's voices have been presented. So in my project, I'm really trying to draw on a variety of women's voices to see if I can elicit even by mixing them artificially using technology to see what I can elicit from those voices if I can find areas of concern if I can find questions that people want to address um, and if I can find even even if, if playfully some sort of instruction from the future using the voices as though they were a seance with the past tarot
0: cards some sort of automatic writing Anne-Marie found inspiration in The Speech, Women, Ideals and the Nation, which was later published as a pamphlet by Neneene Neheron, the Daughters of Ireland, selling for a penny.
2: These lines from her address to the Students' National Literacy Society in 1909, they really... Uh, grab my imagination. Markovich said, take up your responsibilities and be prepared to go your own way, depending for safety on your own courage, your own truth and your own common sense. And I think for any artist who's trying to build a practice and sustain it over time, you know, those those things, courage and truth and common sense, they're, you know, they're well, they're always at the forefront of my own mind and they're kind of really important hallmarks of a practice. Do
1: I think that artists have a responsibility to be radical in their work? Um, no I don't. Um, I think artists have a responsibility to be truthful to what their inquiry brings up. I think they have a responsibility to be original I think they have a responsibility to respond to threats to humanity Sometimes that does mean being radical, not always uh, I think it depends very much at, the time in history that you find yourself. I think that can often be confused. Radicalness with with choosing a different way of life. They're not
0: always the same thing. Just to ask you about that in, in terms of an artist having to at times have difficulty with income or mm-hmm. with opportunities. And as you say, being the right place at the right time 100 years ago, it was quite radical to be a, a woman artist. But in, a- in the same way today, it's not an easy option to take. It's a very precarious lifestyle.
1: It's it's a it's a strange way to live for some people. But if you have the temperament for it, it's I think that's what it comes down to. Often, it might not even be to do with talent. There's lots and lots of talented artists who who don't make it or who can't make it because of the difficulties of the life. But I think if you have the temperament, it's it's easy. And the rewards may not be material, and that can be difficult. <laughs> but you do have huge rewards from it. They're just not material rewards. So I think when something happens, like recently with the pandemic or things like that, you realise how living that way can make you very adaptable and it makes you very resourceful and able to respond to things possibly easier than others because you're used to that kind of lifestyle. But I suppose the difficulties of it sometimes are that you just don't get to choose what you do. You know, you you may have ideas about what you would like to do, what you want to do, the areas you want to explore, but you don't have the resources or you don't have the funding. And I think you still have to keep working. You still have to keep trying, and Mm -hmm. that's that can be frustrating, but it's also exhilarating. But again, it comes back to that thing of like it, it puts you slightly outside of things. And that's not a bad place to be.
0: In our discussions, the whole idea of artists as radical is less compelling to our artists than the idea of being political. This, of course, is of interest, as our work in Manoa 100 covers this century of change women who have been active in party political politics and the women's activism in a host of different ways over the past 100 years since the formation of the state. And the work itself being political, the questions it asks, the voices of women in the manuscript seems to become the motivator, the talisman of sorts. It brings us to the next question. Can artists then influence or shape change? One of the things artists can do, one of the many things artists can do is provide
3: narratives for change, which doesn't necessarily mean saying what would be good to change from or what it would be good to change to, because often you know that's not our specific area of expertise uh, that might be better addressed to people who have done proper political research. But to create a narrative space in which narratives of change are possible, to introduce vocabulary in which change can be addressed and also to think about platforms, um, including all artistic platforms, including performance, uh, print, communication, in which stories that open up, the possibility of change rather than reinforcing the status quo um, i think those are those are things that
0: artists can do when addressing the idea of a different future for barbara training as an actor in the samuel beckett theatre in trinity college dublin in the late 80s working with commotion theatre company fair city and in those early years on roddy doyle's the snapper and the van and all the while she was working within the community and thinking about the lack of diversity of roles for women at this time she began to write herself in her own voice the voice of the Irish woman and she began to consider the craft itself. Just the quality of roles that you were playing you know and you get frustrated
1: do you know as time goes on that you feel like you're never growing as an actor or certainly at that time I would have felt that and you're watching your contemporaries your male contemporaries getting a chance to play these great parts and you go well where are the women where are the women in these kind of iconic plays and it just never chimed with me and when I started to look back at the origins of the state and then where were women's voices? What did I know about women's participation in the struggle? And I knew very little. And when I started to look at uh, through the military archives, through the witness statements and then into the pension files and the Bureau of Military History, suddenly these women's voices are being revealed to me in a way that just completely blew my mind. It it just contradicted everything I knew. And then there's been amazing work has come out of the decade of centenaries and long before from female historians that is really changing the way you look at it. And you begin to think, well, why did I not know this? Why do I not know my own history? And particularly in the light of the mother and baby homes report. And you just think yet again, you just see what is the difficulty? in Irish society still listening to women's voices. And I began to think, well, how can I respond to that as as an artist? And in a way, it fits in with the way that I work. I've often been working in my community work and in work in areas of social exclusion with very fragmented stories. And this really echoed with what I was reading in the witness statements. I start to see what happens to these women? Where do they go? And you can't find them. You can't trace them. They're there for a moment. And so then I started thinking about working with those fragments and trying to create, if you like, a rehistory or a a counter memory. And what an artist can do, I suppose, that a historian can't is imagine into those silences and spaces and build up some kind of a, a sense of where we come from as Irish women and why those voices were silenced and why, in a way, there's such discomfort still about really interrogating that and looking at it and saying, you know, it's affecting us still. And me as a woman, why do I still find it hard to speak up about certain things? Where does that come from? Is that just in my DNA? Is it in my cells? Where does it come from? And it comes from a real place and that's buried and it needs to come to the surface. And uh, and something like the Markovich Award gives me the time and space to really dive into that and look at it and, and work with other artists as well, because silence doesn't always have to be filled with words. It can be filled with, you know, sound and music and and all sorts of things. So um, I'm I'm collaborating as well with uh, the sound artist Alma Callaher at the moment in really early stage of development of my piece so even that's something I wouldn't be able to do without the award is to have that time to integrate that so early on. Normally that's something that comes after you've delivered a script when something goes into production but to integrate it into the very genesis of the project is something I've always wanted to do.
2: In Irish poetry there is this long Gaelic tradition of using language and speaking words aloud in a kind of declarative way or encant Tatory way to, I think, affect change. And if we go right back to, you know, the songs of Amargan said to be, you know, the first bard, mythical bard who set a foot down on the west coast of Ireland and summoned the landscape and said aloud this kind of manifesto, you know, to read the song of Amargan is really to experience the spellbinding um change making effects of language. And you can see that in Irish poetry all through the generations. You know, if you if you look at the work of Newell and Ionel, if you look at the work even uh, today of poets like Durny Ríffa, like there's something about the Irish language spoken aloud in a poetic way that does create a moment of change or transformation. And if you go to the founding of the Irish state, I mean, many of those people who were agitating for for change and who fought they were they were creatives they were you know also in their other lives they were actors they were writers they were poets so i think it's you know fitche virtue in you know irish culture the poetry and artistic self and creativity and the desire to affect change or to reclaim space or to um you know assert your autonomy um, so I think we're very sensitive to that in Irish culture, and um, what's really interesting now I think in Ireland is to see how you know new voices are emerging, and um, you know Irish people who have mixed heritage or you know different ethnicities or different voices coming in from other countries to Ireland, and I think you know we're going to see like a like a rejuvenation of. The, the word and of language and new richness and extending that Gaelic tradition of using your voice in a way, you know, that will complement social change and create a moment of transformation. It's not that a poet or a writer is a politician, you know, like we're not um, activists, but I think we have a sensitivity for transformation and change. So we can we can sit as part of that conversation. And I think that's something that Markovic's generation really understood, you know, that there were there were overlapping lines and blurred lines between creativity and social activism.
0: When we look to the contribution of Markovic, the items, the artifacts, the documents and the images, Retained perhaps because of their content or because of who she was, what she did as a revolutionary. What do you think are the urgent issues of our time that art needs to communicate with or to ask in another way that artists need to engage with? What's most urgent now is, um,
1: you know, the, the, this new space that's emerged between, between fact and disinformation Um, And also as well, how do how do artists command attention in a culture where increasingly everybody is permanently distracted? How do you find space and how do you how do you resonate with people? How do you hijack their attention? I think that's going to be a big thing. I think people's brains are changing. I think their attention spans are changing. I think the demands on people's headspace are so huge. I suppose the pandemic has been very interesting. I mean, it's obviously it's different for everybody as well. I don't want to generalize about it either. But but I think it's been interesting to see how particularly early on in the in the during the first lockdowns, when there was an awful lot of fear around how uh, how people sought out, sought comfort in art, sought comfort in in literature, in music, in those things in times of quite, you know, existential distress that 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 art provided something quite comforting for people. So I think that that's a really interesting thing that's come Mm -hmm. out of it. And I think also the lack of places to gather and having a collective experience. I think people really began to feel that, you know, suddenly not being able to go to a gig, not being able to hear music, uh, not being able to go to the theatre, the cinema, these things that are just we take for granted so much and probably don't even consider as part
0: of our cultural lives. Well, for Joanna, it's the concept of the work and what constitutes work for women. That's been one of the questions that has been informing her work for some time. I'm interested in
3: the way that work has been detached from stable wages, but I'm also interested in the way that a lot of women's work has never been waged. And I think that this opportunity, uh, this this detachment of value in a work, for instance, the gig economy, And the decommodification of labour is also an opportunity for us to think about what work is not valued as work and what work is considered um, either a kind of natural um, outgrowth of, say, family situations and whether that should be readdressed. So I think addressing care work as work is absolutely primary in going forward. And I'm certainly interested in addressing that through art.
0: What's your attitude to a lot of the time where people doing art is considered to be a lifestyle choice? It's
3: considered to be an indulgence. The problem is art is becoming increasingly not work. It is often not well paid or well supported as work. Um, and that extends not only to art, but now also increasingly to professions like journalism and curatorship. Um the entry has become so difficult and remuneration has become so unstable that these jobs have often been are increasingly considered the domain of people who have who already have money to back this up so i think that uh the only ways i can see through this is state level organized support For the sorts of art and the sorts of curatorship that we do want to see in the world, Um, I would certainly consider universal basic income. And I'm very interested in what the government is doing at the moment, thinking around um, an artist's wage. Uh, I I think beyond that, that doesn't just apply in art. It might apply in all areas of life. I think rethinking the categories of what is work and what isn't work and who gets paid and how and why are fundamental
0: for Amory, our conversation turns to Ivan Boland and an interview she gave with Elizabeth Smith, who was, among other roles, the editor of the New York Times Book Review. And in this wide-ranging interview, it's Ivan Boland's words on poetry that resonate with Amory. Poetry
2: begins where certainty ends, and for me, uh, that pursuit of mystery and something unknown and the confidence to go towards your subconscious self or your dreaming as a as a individual or as a group or as a collaborative or as a country. um, It's really important that we, you know, we strive for a sense of rootedness, a sense of unknown, a sense of mystery and beauty. And artists continue to have a really important role in a in a world that is busy, that is distracted, that is suffering a lot of grief now because of Covid. Um, Artists are they're inventors and innovators, you know, they make space, they lay down paths and they keep us connected and rooted and grounded. Certainty ends.
0: The future. So, are you optimistic and confident about the future? Of course, you can discuss this in a wider sense, or maybe reflect on it in a personal way.
3: I think optimism and confidence are two different things. I am probably optimistic without being confident, because I see the range of people making really exciting work. Um, I can see a lot of very exciting voices, or I can hear them. And confidence is different because confidence comes in the feeling that there is a stable background from which these these voices can speak from which this work can be seen and valued and though i'm optimistic that's i'm never quite confident um but i hope that
0: these two things can come closer together and in terms of confidence though could i suggest that By virtue of the fact that you are in this space, because you have that ability to think and articulate your thoughts into an end product, do you think that you need to be confident and determined as an artist in order to sustain the practice?
3: No, actually, I don't. I think that um, confidence is not as valuable as doubt for an artist. And I think if one of our roles is to ask questions, then... A lack of confidence might actually be an asset here. Am I
1: optimistic about the future for the arts? Well, yes, because I'm an optimist, a pathological optimist. So, so yes, I suppose I am, but I am. Well, when I look at where women have come over a 100 years, yes, I am. I am optimistic in some ways, but I think also even in, in the wider world, I think we can see how easily we assume that rights are a permanent thing and that they can't be... They can't be rolled back. I think it's a very optimistic time for Irish women in general. I think that we have come quite a long way. and But I think there is still this huge void that we need to fill in terms of the past and where we've come from and the silencing of women's agency in the past as well. And the way that uh, the way that we understand our history, that that the promise, if you like, of of the Republic uh, was was equal citizenship for women. And and then within within my work, particularly, I'm studying that 20 years, maybe between, you know, 1917 and 1937, uh, when when. When women's citizenship was so reduced, when women were fighting for their freedom, how that turned out for them really was so far from the promise of the revolution. So you had this this idea that all women then became one woman. And a very narrow definition of womanhood, woman as, as mother and wife and, and anything outside of that and any transgression from that was dealt with so brutally. And that I think that we still have to recover from that. And I think those stories and silences have to be addressed. And I think we, when we see the discomfort around talking about that with the release of the Mother and Babies Report and that same obfuscation all the time between church and state and you think, well, there's a lot
2: more that has to be has to be pulled apart. Am I optimistic about the future? I am hopeful about the future in this country for arts and for people who enjoy uh, the arts. And I'm optimistic about our culture. I mean, one of the things that I found during the last 18 months in my own workshops and my engagements with readers is that there's this rejuvenated interest in Irish culture, in landscape, in writing about ecology, in connecting with Gaelic. You know, this time of being more still than we usually are has called our attention to the landscape around us. So I do feel hopeful for lots of reasons. I think, you know, the tradition of writing in Ireland is being replenished. I think uh, our engagement with subject, um, the subjects of landscape and ecology is deepening. And I think more than ever, there's an interest in language. You know, sometimes when when everything else is taken away from you, when you can't take a flight, when you can't move the way that you wanted to, when you can't um, live the life that you were living before Covid, The thing that you have left is your voice and your creativity. And I think there's more than ever an awareness and an appreciation of voice and of language and of the practice and craft of writing.
0: As our conversation draws to a close, I reflect that as somebody always looking backwards, that these artists have led me across a metaphorical bridge, walking me into the future. Their take on their artistic practice, on their craft, is confident and assured. Their thoughts on Ireland and the Irish are reflective of a whole society that includes diversity and inclusion, the vulnerable and the marginalised. The Irish language, and indeed other languages, Their writing, art and poetry born out of opportunities given to them. Learning about the past, but not bound by it. I look forward to seeing, experiencing and hearing the work that will come out of their Markovitch Award. Coveted prizes, created to give the artists time to think, to produce, to imagine. To honour Markovitch and all her achievements, First MP, TD, Cabinet Minister. The work will reflect on the role of women during the period 1912 to 1923 and beyond. Women known and less well known that we are remembering in this decade of centenaries. Joanna Walsh gave Manoa 100 a sample of the type of work she is producing. A work in process. But as I listen, I truly feel I'm in the future already. In
4: 2020, I wrote my last novel as a human being. But the first thing I want to do sure was find myself, myself and let go of all the demons and anxieties that, that The Matrix had bred in, in 2009. 2000. The age had forsaken my humanity. And my and my humanity. Mind mind I have not yet discovered how to bring it back to me. Tomorrow I wanted to go back I I to the world with my and a trip to an alternate universe. Perhaps it would have been easier at the point to forget edible food As without said, any restrictions. But in, in it. the years always felt like an unnecessary, unnecessary, I couldn't let myself couldn't forget that I, I was ashamed for you, I of how many of my children were not. I had to explain it to no, myself son, or I could make an image. I never I placed the clouds and made it to this pass here. Good for the first, first time. Time. Took the time, I went to think about these hotels, you wanted a picture these things. This was a wonderful, delightful experience. The two soldiers with their I would put myself into any state of thought I wanted without limitations of mind or you can't deny the threats of the pain there in this time as much as I wanted to. I the, the only thing is that it would be a many different kinds of things that I remember team, most no about that one wondering. point. this um, young boy was being put hard. Be he can't about to the eon how oh, I said, I write relay, he he said, said oh, my, what do my parents' house? Oh my sister, Orgasmic rage. I said, I a house everyone else in the world. And then I person any time. What really mattered was the tone which she said second age. And he said, other there is no single fundamental truth. That is a key. And I said, Things. And, things. and he says, Oh, and even a what place you, you write about it, are all you have to explore. And I said, God, they're all experiences to be made to you make the most life. life. For tomorrow, it is you your said. choice to choose. Oh, what do you write about? There is one personal and key difference on and, you and, oh, and what do you the write about? about will be in a different climate and universe. And, and I and said, They are based they on a different country. And he said, I know this may amazing to you. And it sounds like you have no excuse. And I said, What makes it really easy and the most fun? And he said, Oh, if you do write about that you are the most incredible human being. And I said to mankind, i be not punished for your creativity or lack thereof
0: if you really want to do it. This was the second of the Manol 100 Centenary Podcasts, part of the Decade of Centenary Programmes, the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Geltuk, Sports and Media. This episode is made with the assistance of the Arts Council. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and will tune in again.